Hello, church family. Today we're going to look at Acts chapter 10, verse 1 to 23. Uh, I titled this little devotional, Tale of Two Visions. Um, this is a very familiar passage to us. Um, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, this is when um, really the Gentile people becoming saved. And I've mentioned in, even in the last message that there were a lot of people uh, that, that started being uh, converted. Uh, first, it was like the uh, the Jews and different Jews throughout um, uh, Jerusalem, and then it just and the gospel kind of spread and continued and went to Samaria, and then now it goes to over. Uh, we start. We'll, we'll we will begin to see throughout the rest of the world. And we see this gospel being spread out of Jerusalem, and uh, that's what's kind of going on. Just kind of summarizing what's going on with this book, of where we're at now. Chapter nine is when Paul or saw at the time, gets converted. He has a vision. He gets blinded for three days. And Ananias, uh, a different Ananias, not the one that was killed, uh, he is called by the Lord to go and uh, and, and heal Paul. And he and then after some several, uh, he goes, he gets healed. And that time has passed, and Paul is now witnessing to people all over. Wherever he's went, uh, he went to bring people to the Lord. And then uh, it says that it took a while, uh, many days or um more more accurately, several years has passed, and uh, Paul had never met with the disciples, the original apostles, but in Galatians it says that once he met them after several years, he was able to confirm, and they were able to affirm the fact that Paul's teaching is, is exactly from Christ, which tells you that all truth, all true biblical truth is from the Lord, and God gave them uh, gave Paul and the apostles uh, the exact same theology that they needed so that when uh, they interacted with one another that uh, the apostles can now trust uh, Saul or Paul as uh, the preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then at the end of chapter 9, uh, Peter is now traveling all over the place and he heals um, this widow, uh, well not the widow, this, um, this lady um, named Dorcas or Tabitha and uh, you will recall that a whole bunch of people missed her because the particular widows, um, they had this high view of her. And uh, the reason for all of that wasn't so much for Dorcas to come out of glory back into the real world or even to minister to those that are uh, that miss her, but it's, it's supposed to be so that the people in Joppa would come to saving faith. Now we see the gospel continue on, and there's two visions here, one from Cornelius and the other from Peter. First, so we'll start from... Chapter 10, verse 1. Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion, what was called the Italian cohort. Now, we just see right off this bat that uh, this focus is on this uh, the centurion, or, this, or on Cornelius. Uh, he is a, um, his name is Cornelius, a centurion, meaning he, he, he has um, control, or he oversees uh, militaries, and the cohort is about like 100 pe- soldiers or so. Uh, he was an Italian person, um, and he's obviously here as a Gentile. And during this time, it says in verse 2 that he was a devout man and one who feared God. And what was important about this phrase, one who feared God, this is a Gentile person that has, you know, which is very rare at the time, or a Gentile person that, that believed in a monotheism. Uh, most of the people at the time were polytheistic. They worshipped different gods and multiple gods. So this one individual, this uh, person here, I think he saw the the absurdity of all the Roman gods, and decided to follow the the Jews, and in, in, in that they believe in the one true God. 
Now, that's those are actually the category who are those who are, are titled as those who fear or God fears. But he isn't like a full proselyte because uh, if he was a Jew, they'll just call him a Jewish person. We'll just call him a Jew. Uh, but he was um, maybe one step removed from completing that step. He was someone that was devoted to the one true God. It says here that he feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. This means that uh, God will, um, you know, this person truly is a, uh, a seeker of truth. He really wanted to know who the one true God is. And God <clears throat> provided opportunity for him to know who, um, who he is. Um, so, you know, they had the Old Testament, right? But then, obviously, the, the Jewish um, people that held the Old Testament at the time uh, got it wrong. And uh, he's now, um, you know, just still seeking the truth. He has a partial truth, and he wants the whole truth. And this is a lesson for us that God will always rescue those who have a genuine desire for him. I think if you ever evangelize to people, and they say things like, well, what about those people that are in countries that have never heard the gospel and there is a sense in which, first of all, they don't know if there's any missionaries that ever snuck in and share the gospel. And two, I do believe that if God really wants those people to be saved, he would make it so. Uh, whether it's someone like a missionary sneaking in or they leaving the, the people leaving the country, there is a way in which God would providentially move world history and borders and everything so that the people that truly want to seek him will know him. And that's what's going on here. Uh, this one man, Cornelius, truly wanted to know the Lord. And um, it said in verse 3, About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of, the, of, um, of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius. Now, this is a person that uh, he just prayed. He was praying regularly at ninth hour, meaning like 3 p.m. or so. He prayed on that day, and he saw a vision. He sees an angel, and the angel tells him, uh, and he calls upon him, verse 4. Fixing his eyes on him and being alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers are almost ascended as a memorial before God. So whoever this angel is, is basically relaying a message to him, uh, God's message for him, that he that his prayers, just like smoke going up to the sky, uh, uh, the Lord um, sees it. He received their prayer, and he's going to give him all the necessary requirements, the opportunity for him to truly know the one true God. Verse 5. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. You remember that when I share about how Peter seems to be always engaging different Simons. You know, Simon Peter, same Simon. Um, he, he talked about Simon the magician, and there's the Simon the tanner, and um, he's he. And, you know, so the, in other words, Simon's a very common name, and uh, Peter himself has engaged with uh, two of them already. And um, God, or the angel, gave Cornelius instruction to find this one particular Peter. Not the, not the tanner, but the person that is the apostle. Um, and it's very specific. Like, find the guy uh, that lives in, by the sea, whose house, uh, who's living by the sea, who's, whose place belongs to a guy named Simon. Look for that Simon. <laughs> so that's what's going on here. First, uh, when the angel who was speaking to him left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So there's this immediate obedience here. He knows that whatever he saw, which is the angel, was uh, was real, and that he knows that that's God's message for him, and he uh, sends people out uh, exactly the way that the angel instructed. You know, the angel said, told him to, to go out. 
uh, dispatch some men in Joppa to Joppa. He didn't say you need to go or like or that wait for Peter to come. He said no, you need to send two people to, to there. Now that's again shows you Cornelius's heart that he truly wanted to know the Lord. He wanted to know the Lord on his terms. He doesn't want to know the Lord based on how he wants to be uh, know the Lord, which is very counter to the way that our, our world thinks in our modern postmodern society and a very secular world. We want to worship God in our terms. We want God to descend and to become descend down from heaven and do what we want them to do. Uh, which is not true uh, and not um, accurate about who God is. We're called to seek after him, humble our hearts, and that's how we get to f- uh, land on truth. And, you know, those are his terms. You know, we worship God in his terms. We don't decide how God wants to be worshipped. He decides that. So God tells him to tell his angel to go and tell Peter, or t- tell Cornelius to go and uh, send these two people there, and, he, and Cornelius did just that. Which again, which is an act of faith, and he's he was obedient to the Lord and to the angel of the Lord, and um, he wanted to truly seek after him, so he wanted to honor the Lord. Verse nine. On the next day, as they were uh, uh, on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up to the house top about the sixth hour to pray. So this is around twelve p.m. or so, around lunchtime. Is why he was hungry. Verse ten. But he came hungry and was desiring to eat. But while he, they were making preparation, he fell into a trance. So as he was hungry, now this is not saying that he was low on blood sugar and started hallucinating and everything. Um, this is uh, a legitimate trance that he started. He saw the angel. Um, uh, he saw a vision from the Lord and what, how he's supposed to act. Um, and this is you know three hours on the next day. So like the next day, um, three uh, I guess twenty something hours ago, uh, he uh, Cornelius got this vision. Now Peter gets this vision, and. Uh, and he has a vision about food. Verse 11, he saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. Now, the, this is a mix between both our animals that the Jews are allowed to eat and these are also animals that Jews are not allowed to eat. This sounds weird to us because we don't think in those terms. Um, we generally you know, eat whatever we want. But back then, um, you know, God gave the Jews a command to not eat like the ways the Gentiles eat. You know, Daniel is an example of that, and in the Old Testament too, in Deuteronomy, and I think even Leviticus, they gave these dietary laws, and the tension of that is so that, um, uh, you know, there wasn't that many uh, social gathering types back then. But the main type that you would gather with non-Christians is uh, during the meal. So when Jews sat with Gentiles, that's when they would actually have um, you know their conversations and built up relationships. It was over food. There were there weren't that many things like oh we have a common movie theater or a sports team where we can do those things together. Food was the main thing that would uh, bring people together. Now the Jews it wasn't say, saying that they can't eat with Gentiles was but what but rather is that if you were to eat with them there are certain things that you cannot eat. So if you think about if they went to a restaurant uh, they could only order certain things on the menu and not on other things. And that was again to make them distinct from the rest of the world. Now we know the Israelites did not do this. Uh, they ended up forfeiting uh, their covenant relationship with the Lord and they just ended up eating everything. But um, but the Jews, there were a sect of the Jews that that held to these dietary laws into the New Testament, even and even some now in our modern day as well. Um, again, these dietary laws were not mainly for health reasons; was primarily so that their food 
that the way that they eat is supposed to look different from the rest of the world. And the things that they eat is supposed to make them stand out. Verse, um, verse 13. A voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means. Now, it's interesting. I don't think Peter fully understand his vision. That was from the Lord. Uh, maybe he was just trying to figure it out. Is this real or not? Uh, but he said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. So it's funny because, you know, just like before when Jesus was around, he would rebuke Jesus and now he's rebuking the Lord again. So even though he is, even though some time has passed in his maturity, not everything is uh, completely done away with. What should be encouraging to us as Christians that progressive sanctification takes time. Even Peter, it takes time for him to submit fully to the word of God. Verse 15, again, a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. So it's funny, because there's almost that opposite of a contrast between the two visions. Like Cornelius, when he got the vision, he went immediately. Peter got a vision, and he has to have it three times before he really understands what's going on. But even then, he was still perplexed. Verse 17, now while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind to what the vision which he had uh, seen might be, Behold, a man who sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate, and calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was called Peter, was uh, was staying. So, again, you see God's providence in providing the right opportunity for Cornelius to hear the gospel. And at the same time, the reason why this vision was there was to prepare uh, Peter to spend some time with a Gentile person. Um, he didn't get it. Peter was struggling with this. He was meditating on it. He wasn't sure what he was feeling or what he observed. Um, he just struggled, uh, and he just kept struggling. Um, verse, uh, verse 19, while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Uh, but get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgiving, for I have seen, so far I have sent them myself. So this is God's, again, revealing his, his divine sovereignty in all of this, that he is the one who, who uh, brought, um, he's the one who brought Cornelius to them, and uh, he told them to, this is all part of God's divine plan, he's going to use Peter in this way again. Again, don't blame Peter, uh, because we think that sometimes we would be, uh, we could handle the situation a lot better, uh, but no, no, sometimes we get, uh, we're not always as obedient as we should be, um, and though we should at least try our best to strive for godliness, I know that all of us wrestle with sin and wrestle with being obedient to the Lord immediately. We're more, in a lot of ways, like the unbelieving Cornelius at this point, at times, because of our own sinful flesh. Uh, but verse 1, Peter went down to the, to the man, men and be, said, Behold, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, uh, well spoken of, by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. So it sounds really bizarre. Like, hey, uh, we've been summoned by the Lord, and you need to go and preach something. I don't, we don't know what you have to preach, but you need to go and do, do your thing. Uh, verse 23, so he invited them in and gave them lodging. And on the next day he got up and went away with them and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. So it's interesting that we start, we begin to see how 
the Lord is working in these two visions, that he's providentially moved one person, the non-believer, to desire the things of the Lord, and the Lord is moving another person, a believer, to go and minister the gospel to them. How do we know and uh, if, when that happens in our life? Honestly, you just need to be willing to just uh, keep serving and evangelizing. There's no definitive way for you to know every little secret thing that isn't part of God's divine plan, but one of the things you can and are able to do is to understand your role in all of redemptive history, that you need to be ready, that you need to constantly be praying. Um, Cornelius genuinely prayed and he wanted to know the Lord. Peter prayed on top of the household, uh, probably you know, fasting or just dwelling on things of the Lord. And the Lord moved both of these individuals so that they could come at the one point where they see each other in hopes that this person will come to saving faith. Now that's the lesson for us that we need to think about. Uh, just be faithful in the ministry that you're in. Don't be so obsessed and worried about what the future might hold. But as long as we are faithful, we can honor the Lord. And all that we do, the Lord will use us mightily for his kingdom and for his glory. Thanks for listening. We're going to continue this story uh, next time when um, Peter and Cornelius actually meet face to face. Thanks for listening. I hope this is helpful for you. Take care and have a great day.